everyone. I hope you've had a great week. I know it's been the return to school week recently and I hope that those of you with school starters didn't find it too difficult. That can be an emotional moment, can't it? And those with preschoolers, I hope you're not too tired. That's a very physical stage. And those who are sending them back for another year of a school that they're already familiar with, I hope that went well too. Thanks for joining me this week. Each week I'm going to cover all sorts of parenting topics from tantrums and chat back to hormones, sibling issues, anxiety, teen troubles, everything and anything that can cause disconnect in your relationships with your children, i.e. how to keep those connections in good healthy shape even when you and your children disagree. This term I'm doing shorter podcasts, just a little sort of bite-sized something that's easy to digest in a busy life, a thought for the week you might say. And I thought today I'd chat about attachment and when it can be misconstrued. Attachment is of course the development and emotional experience that takes place when a parent bonds with their baby or child. And this has, in fairly recent years, become the subject of much research and it's often been found to be the cause of healthy and unhealthy neural activity that affects the development and capabilities of a child. Yep, those early cuddles, those firstborn moments affect their lives, not only in the short term, but in the very long term. Now, these effects can be reversed if they've had a traumatic or bad start. Because as we know, our brains have elasticity and we can rewire. But today I'm talking about attachment, but I'm guessing that most of my listeners have had a good early relationship with their children from birth. So today, from a parenting perspective, I'm not addressing detachment. But what I do want to talk about is the tipping point of attachment. All good behaviours have a tipping point, don't they? It's good to be disciplined about food, but the tipping point would be starving yourself. It's good to be kind, but the tipping point is when we get walked all over, and so on. So what could the tipping point be of attachment? When does attachment become unhealthy? Surely all parental love and care is positive. Well, yes, but I would ask you this. What is love? And I know we could get quite deep and ethereal at this point, but suffice it to say that whilst love is hugs and hot chocolates, kind words and nice deeds, love is also the responsibility for us to be our children's frontal lobe, whilst theirs is still under construction. To that end, love is sometimes saying no. Of course, you know that. But what many parents find more difficult is standing back. Standing back and letting their children succeed or possibly fail. When with the simple wave of a parent wand, we could ensure success. Yes, love is allowing them to fail. Love is allowing them to get upset when they're not achieving something that's been set. Now, this isn't just my perspective, in case you were wondering. Attachment is something that is very sketchily taught and shared and actually makes a lot of people quite nervous that they're not doing enough of it. But with a little bit more examination, attachment includes developing an ability in your child to overcome. The avoidance of any situations that might provoke stress 
means that our children don't develop that part of their brains that, well, learns to overcome. The long-term effect of this is that they don't cope with challenging situations. They can switch off when life becomes tough. They retain that need for childish certainty over structure, over mealtimes, over the predictability of life that's not commensurate with their age and the expectation of their maturity. And all this because we swoop in when we think it's the most loving thing to do instead of standing back a little bit and allowing them that development, leaving them to work things out a bit, believing in them enough to know that they will overcome, allowing them to fail even though you could have rescued them. That's love. It's part of development. Think of it this way. If your child has a challenge that they're finding hard, you can be supportive or you can be intrusive. Now, nobody wants to be intrusive, do they? Sounds a bit invasive and over the top. We prefer to call it supportive or assistive. But the whole point about supporting and assisting is that we don't do the job for them. We're supporting it and assisting it even though we could very easily just do it. But no, doing it for them is intrusive. Imagine if you went to drop your child off at a swimming lesson and then you sat at the side and waited for the lesson to finish. And then you noticed that the teacher had set them a difficult task, perhaps a few extra lengths, or having a crack at the butterfly stroke. Would you jump in the pool, push your child out of the way and do the lengths for them? I think not. Yet, metaphorically, that's what we're doing a lot of the time when we swoop in and do things for them that they should be doing to strengthen themselves, to grow and to develop. If you've got a toddler, it's easier to clear up the toys than expect them to. It's quicker too, especially as they huff and puff and get distracted and you have to keep them on track. But if you leave yourself a little bit longer and encourage them past their point of desperation, it's developmental. Or take a six or seven year old. Setting household chores can feel like it's more work for you to monitor their efforts than just to do it for them. But expectations that feel a little bit too hard are healthy. Think of it like buying the next size up of clothing, knowing that they'll grow into it. There's being supportive with homework, isn't there, as well? And then there's doing that project for them. And yes, I know you do it because teachers tell me that you do. And what about getting them to make appointments or necessary phone calls rather than just doing it for them? Do you rescue them by finding their lost items when they should really be looking for them themselves? Do you make their lunches when they're easily big enough to make their own? I always think that if they can save the world on a screen with two thumbs, they're surely dexterous enough to pull a sandwich together. And I hear you say, yeah, but they leave a mess all over the kitchen. Well, make clearing up part of the expectation. Did you know we thrive when we're stretched? So have a think next time you're packing their sports kit, covering their mistakes, being the fall guy in difficult situations with teachers or friends, letting them get away with something, something that you've set them or a teacher's set them or a coach has asked of them because it all just feels too hard. I find that when I tuck into this area in a private session with a parent or in a group, if we're on a course together, we explore what's behind the parent wanting to over-nurture, intrude, I'll call it. And there are two common themes. 
One is the desire to nurture and the other is the child's mood and response if they're being asked to do something they don't want to do. If they're not getting the assistance that they expect, the parent finds the pushback really difficult. So firstly, I'd say, yeah, it's great to nurture. I get that. What parent doesn't? But is it feeding your needs or their needs? It can't hurt to look at whether it's right for them. It isn't necessarily right for them just because it feels nice for us. And then will it rob you of all the wonderful warm feelings of being a nourishing parent if you raise your expectations a little for your child? Not at all. In fact, it will leave you space for other nourishing moments. And secondly, don't let your child threaten you with that relationship. It's the beginning of manipulation if we let them get away with that. Yes, we love our children's approval. We like the peace that it brings. We'd rather give in than walk through the potential conflict. Yet we'll do it for the physical stuff, won't we? We don't want them to turn up to school in nappies at the age of five. We'll encourage them to walk when they're toddlers, even if it means they have to fall. But when it comes to their emotional world, it's easier to take the path of the least resistance. So let me encourage you. They're not really going to stop loving you because you expect them to take responsibility. It might look like that in the moment, but trust me, I've been doing this a long time. It isn't the loving expectation of a parent to grow their child that causes broken relationships. And remember, you're not disconnecting. I often use the analogy of a bridge for a relationship with a child. You own one side, they own the other. Your job is to keep your side in good repair. Well, so long as you're not yelling at them about this particular chore or difficulty or challenge they're facing or being unkind, the simple fact of expecting them to take on age-appropriate responsibilities is not a blight on your side of the bridge. You can keep your side in good repair even when they're in stress mode. If they want to pull theirs away, you can let them. They will come back. You haven't made it impossible to cross to your side of the bridge. Stress isn't something that we strive to offer our children, but without any of it, they don't develop the ability to overcome it. Next time your child is in a bit of a pit, think about a way that you can come alongside them and encourage them instead of doing it for them. Like a coach cheering on an athlete, see if you can watch them stretch to the neural point of resolving or experience the disappointment of failure and know that your love and your support is consistent, no matter whether they achieve or whether they fail. We need to disassociate failing and feeling like a failure. They're not the same. Yet employers and universities complain that young adults are fragile in this area. They haven't experienced conditional love through perseverance and failure enough times to know that failure doesn't define them. Here's one of my favourite sayings, made up by me. Failure is an event, not an identity. So all to say, you won't ruin your attachment with your child if you stand back a little. In fact, they will become attuned. That's the technical word for it. I like to think of it as tuning up. Can you love them enough to see them in peril and not rescue them? 
Remember childbirth? If midwives put babies back or stopped the whole show when it all got too hard, we'd be in an interesting mess. So I dare you, tune up your kids. Love them through their stress. Encourage them through their challenges. Raise your expectations. Coach them when life is hard. It's part of healthy attachment. It's connected. It builds culture. It shows them unconditional love. And if you want to know more about that topic and you think that that's an area where you could grow as a parent, you'll love the book Parenting for Life. If you haven't got it already and you'd love a full-colour, hard-backed book with great parenting tools that's written so you can just pick up one page and change your day with just one paragraph, one little tip for the day, or you want to dig into a whole chapter or the whole book, you'll find it on my website, which will also have the notes from today on if you'd like to see them in print so that you can review it in your own timing. The website's called thecourageousmama.com. You'll also find information there if you're looking for some one-to-one support in your family life. You can come and share with me and we'll find some tools that will take the tension out of your family life. And that's also on thecourageousmama.com, but I'll put the link below as well. And what I'd love you to do is one of two things or both. Pop to the review section of the podcast, ping me some stars and a nice comment. And the other thing is um, to share it with a friend, someone you know who would find this helpful. And I look forward to seeing you again next week.